swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. As the sand on the seashore, and your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And then Abraham returned to his servants. And they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stared in Beersheba. And this is the word of the Lord. Pray with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather around your word. And God, I just want to offer a simple prayer this morning. I pray that you would speak to your people. God, take these words, take this moment, this offering, this space, and allow us, God, to hear your voice. Allow us to hear you clearly above any other voice. I pray for truth, God, to be established. I pray for seeds to be planted. God, may your word go forth in power and clarity and not come back void. We love you and we praise you. And all God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. So, you know, there's there's a saying that says that a picture is worth a thousand words. And after having seen some incredible pieces of art, I think I may be coming to believe that. My wife and I were able to go to Europe this summer for three weeks. We backpacked. We started in Nice, France, made our way west into the Provence region. After that, we went down into Spain, to Barcelona, all the coastal cities in Spain. We ended in Madrid. We flew out to Munich. Then we came back home. And while we did that trip, let me tell you, it was absolutely amazing. We got to go see a lot of museums, and I don't know if you guys are into art at all. I wasn't before I met my wife, but once you get married, there are things that you pick up that you normally don't want to pick up, but you kind of have to pick up anyways, and art was one of them. I love art now. And while we were there, we were able to to see some incredible, unbelievable pieces of art. I mean, we saw artists like Picasso, Miro, Cezanne, Van Gogh, Goya, Degas, El Greco, and all of you guys are like, what? Who are these people? Go get cultrified. I just made up a word. It's good for you. But unbelievable pieces of art. And it made me really think, wow, a picture really is worth a thousand words. But you know, the truth is that word or words paint pictures too. And by this, I mean that when we hear certain words, we're able to conjure up images in our mind. Take the clip that we saw, for instance, right? Michael Jackson. That name. And the response that that name brings. And it's comical and it's funny. But people got a little crazy when they saw Michael. Rest in peace. I, like Corey, am a huge MJ fan. You know, I grew up singing Billie Jean all around the house, trying to do my best imitation of the moonwalk, which I will not show you today. Maybe in some future time. But his name elicited a response. And so when you hear the name Michael Jackson, the image that comes to mind for some people is exactly what you saw in that clip, in that interview with Oprah back in 2007. But let's say if I say the word uh, apple, for instance. Now, some of you might think about apple picking, right? Which is something that you do every fall. The weather's starting to get cold. Or maybe you're thinking about your grandmother's fresh-baked apple pie. Or maybe you're thinking about that shiny new MacBook or the iPhone 6 or 6 Plus. Or that iPhone that you're holding in your hand playing Candy Crush right now. Some of you. Big Brother is watching. God sees you. (laughs) But what if I say the word Oreo? Right? Some of you might be like, mmm, Oreos. Now, I love Oreos, right? And some of you might be getting distracted. But for me, I see myself sitting at the dining room table with my dad. He's just gotten me a tall glass of milk. And he tells me, son, you got to break apart that cookie. You got to figure out which side the cream is on. Give a nice little flavor. Put it back together. Milk. Dunk. Swirl. And you eat the cookie. 
That's what I see when I hear the word Oreo. Well, what about the word Christmas? Maybe for some of you, you imagine traumatic mall photo experiences with Santa. But for me, I imagine a Christmas tree that's ornately decorated from top to bottom, and I see piles of gifts and gifts and more gifts. And right next to all of that are the stockings of my brothers and sisters. Every Christmas Eve, we had a Branky family tradition in which we were allowed to open one gift. And so I see all of us gathering together, going through the gifts, trying to discern through the work of the Spirit which gift to open first. Is it this one? Is it that one? I don't know. I feel like God's calling me to this one. I don't know. I think I have a word for you. It might be that one. You have to choose the best one because you only get to open one. Never mind the fact that the next morning we got to open all of them. But we all pick one. And we start opening it up and paper starts filling the air. And that's the image I see when I hear the word Christmas. Well, how about the word Christian? What do you see when you hear that word? Or, or rather, what do you think people see when they hear that word? Do you think they see a group of people who are passionately living out their beliefs, pursuing justice in the world and helping bring God's kingdom to earth? Or do they see protesters holding signs that say, repent or hell is waiting, turn or burn, or maybe even God hates, you know, or baby killers in front of abortion clinics? What do you think people see when they hear the word Christian? How about the word worship? And what do you see when you hear that word? Do you see people singing? Do you see shiny lights and smoke machines? Do you see some super cool hipster people with really cool hair and clothes and accents singing songs about Jesus, their homeboy? It's okay to laugh. Do you see people standing with hymns and singing along with an organist, maybe, or just purely a cappella? Or maybe you see people doing nothing at all. People being so apathetic, so unengaged, and they're just standing there saying, I dare you to move me. Do it. Or maybe you see thousands of people lifting their hands in Africa and dust clouds forming as people start to dance on dirt fields. What do you see when you hear the word worship? Is it the right picture that comes to your mind? You see, if a picture is worth a thousand words, yes, but words can paint pictures too. And sometimes the pictures we see are very clear and accurate, and other times they're so far from the mark. And in moments like this, what we have to do is we have to take a dose of reality. We have to go back to the beginning. We have to go back to the roots to understand the etymology of these words and what's really going on. And so this morning, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to go back and explore the word worship and dive into a passage of scripture that has everything to do with worship, even if many people don't recognize or see it that way. And so this morning, we're going to be exploring the question, what is Worship. And before we do that, we have to kind of get a context for what's happening here in Genesis 22 with Abraham. You see, in Genesis 22, we find Abraham in an interesting place, a predicament, a um, mysterious moment in his life. By this moment in scripture, Abraham has been called by God to leave his father's home and to go to a land which I will show you. It happens in Genesis 12. And Abraham follows God. He leaves his father's home and he starts his journey with him and he encounters all these different things along the way. But there comes a moment where God says, hey, I'm going to make a covenant with you. You're going to be the father of many nations. You see, his name used to be Abram. But God said, you're going to be a father of many nations and you're going to be a blessing to the people. And so your name shall now be called Abraham. And he makes this covenant and he says, you're going to be a father of many nations. And Abraham says, yeah, but that's, that's great, God. I love that vision you have for me. I mean, you're God, so you come up with the best visions. But I have no son. 
No kid. Now Abraham was nearly 100 years old and Sarah was 90. And God said to them, I'm going to provide you a son. What do you think Sarah's response was? She laughed. Yeah. Are you serious? 90 years old? I don't want you guys to picture that. That's an interesting picture. It's from the Bible, so we can talk about it that way. But 100 years old and 90 years old, and God says, you're going to have a son. And you know what? Sarah laughs. But a year later, miraculously, God gives them a son. And they named the son Isaac, which means laughter. And Abraham's life and Sarah's life is perfect. God's vision is fulfilled. His plan is fulfilled. And he is like living it up. Until we get to Genesis 22, when God shows up and messes it all up. God, the one who gave Abraham this promised son, comes now to him and says, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac to me. Now, to which Isaac must have been like, what? God, this is a joke, right? I mean, did you just punk me? Like, is Ashton Kutcher hiding somewhere behind that thicket or something? Like, is there some hidden camera going on here? Some Old Testament version of punk? Like, like what? You want me to sacrifice my son? Or maybe he just cried out in anger. God, what did you say? You want me to do that? Are you crazy? This is the promise that you gave me. What the heck? What the heaven are you thinking, God? You must be mistaken. You're not allowed to do this. Are you crazy? You must be. But what we find in today's text is that Abraham says neither of those things. All we see is that he says nothing. Nothing to God. He just goes and prepares to offer a sacrifice. The text tells us that he loads up his donkey. He wakes up two of his servants and his son Isaac. He goes and cuts the wood for the burnt offering. And he makes his way towards the mountain that God told him about. And in that whole time, scripture says, there's nothing that Abraham says. Nothing at all. There's no explanation given. There's no instructions given to his servants. No good morning to his son. For all we know, he goes three days, which was the journey to get to that mountain, without saying a word. And then finally, he breaks his silence with this statement. And he says to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Now, this statement is so powerful and so relevant for our discussion today, because this is the first time in all of Scripture that the word hava in Hebrew, which means worship, is used in the Bible. It's not used in the garden to describe what Adam thought about creation and and what he did there all the time when he was seeing the glory of God in the garden and all of nature. Or what he did after seeing God create Eve from a rib. I mean, he said, whoa, man, woman, yeah. But he didn't use worship there. Yeah, some of you guys are like, I get it now, it's cheesy. It's not used when Cain and Abel brought their first fruits and offered them to God. One was accepted, the other rejected. But worship is not used there to describe what they did. It's not used when Noah steps out of the ark after witnessing God destroy the world with the flood. Shows him a rainbow and says, I'll never do that again. He brings new life out of death. He brings order out of chaos. And in that context, yes, Noah does offer an offering. But the word worship is not used there. The word Havah is used for the very first time here in our text. As Abraham sets out to sacrifice his son Isaac. He's about to kill the very promise that God gave to him. As an offering to God. And it's in this unbelievable story that Abraham says, the boy and I will worship and return to you. It's amazing and powerful. 
And it shows us that if we want to know the answer to the question, what is worship? We've got to examine what's going on here in the very first use of this word. We've got to figure out what this meant. And why it's so significant that it was used the very first time here in Abraham's words in Genesis 22. And so today I want to establish three truths that we can learn about worship from this text. And the first truth is simply this. That worship is an act of obedience. Worship is an act of obedience. And now we see this very clearly in the narrative this morning. Abraham is given this crazy task. An impossible one, some would say. And, And quite simply... Abraham obeys God. He doesn't question. He doesn't complain. He doesn't throw up theological arguments. He doesn't say, that's not my thing. I'm kind of not into sacrificing sons. He just obeys God. And Abraham is able to do this because he knows who God is. He recognizes that God is a creator of the universe. He's the one who called him. He's the one who gave him a new name. He's the one who fulfilled his promise. He knows who God is and he recognizes that God is a higher authority. Now, When I grew up, um, when I grew up, I feel like I'm still growing up. Let me use a different phrase. When I was young, I grew up in army bases uh, all my life. My dad was in the army for 22 years, and he retired as a first sergeant. For those of you who have served or you have family members who serve, thank you for your service. And for those of you who don't know, a first sergeant is the highest position that you can get as a non-commissioned officer. It pretty much means that my dad was a big deal. And so I grew up on army bases all my life, and I would love walking around with him, okay? No joke. Everywhere we went, people would be walking, and they would see my dad, they would stop, and they would do this. And they would wait for me and him to walk by. And sometimes I would kind of hover. <laughs> and then once we walked by, their hands would go down, they would continue their way. And I couldn't believe it, right? Every time, everywhere we went, they saluted him. And I was like, this is the coolest thing. My dad is a big deal. Well, one time we went on base and he was wearing civilian clothes. What that means is he looked like a normal person just like all of us. And we went to this office and we needed this piece of paperwork that was like needed it for college. And the office was saying I needed to get it. And it was kind of troublesome. And I'm sure some of you know what that feels like. But that's the context I was in. And get your paperwork in, by the way. And so as I go, my dad's looking like a normal guy. We go and uh, there's a soldier there and she's just incredibly rude. You know, she's telling us that she can't do it, that we're wasting her time. She's, like, seeing other people, and she's, you know, you're giving us a hard time. We can't do nothing. And all of this stuff is happening. And my dad is just being very patient, just saying, we need this piece of paperwork. It's for school, yada, yada, continuing. And she wouldn't budge. And she was really, really rude. And so my dad was patient with her. But then, you know, I, I was like, Dad, I don't want to, like, embarrass anyone. So let's get out of here. And then all of a sudden he said, Son, I want you to wait. And I'll never forget what I saw. My dad pulled out his ID card. And he held it like this, and he said, Soldier, I'm First Sergeant Sean Branke, and you need to watch your tone with my son and with me. And immediately, this woman straightens up. Yes, sir. My apologies, sir. And he says, Go get that document for us. He needs it for school. She said, Yes, sir. And within two minutes, we were out. Now, the soldier recognized my dad's rank and saw a higher authority when given a command, and the response was automatic. It was obedience. And see, the problem with us is that we approach worship as if it's a choice. As if we're given some options, like the fast food menu when you go to McDonald's or Wendy's. It's like something you can engage in if you want, but if it's not like to your liking, then you don't really have to engage in that. But we don't understand that worship is an act of obedience. When the scripture says, clap your hands, all you people, in Psalm 41, it's not a suggestion. It's written in the imperative tense in the Hebrew, which denotes that it's a command. 
Or when scripture says, sing to God all you nations, that's not something the psalmist is saying, hey, sing to God all you nations if you're kind of feeling like that. Right? Later we hear that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And scripture is calling us to respond to a higher authority and simply sing out in obedience. And all of scripture is authoritative. authoritative. We believe that. And so when we hear things like, let's not give up meeting together, or let's hold on to the faith without swerving, or let's spur each other on towards good deeds. Let us sing, let us shout, let us be still, let us reflect, let us seek the Lord. Let us live justly. Our response, like Abraham's, should simply be obedience. Even the word hava in Hebrew, it means to bow down to the ground or to lie prostrate before. It's a sense of recognizing a higher authority and obeying. Worship isn't a choice. It's not something you choose to do. Our response when God says worship should be automatic. It should be obedience. And for some of us, that's hard. And I get that, and I understand it. But just for a second, what does that look like for you right now, here in chapel? Maybe for some of you, it's just to simply sing. You're here, and you're like, I'm not even a Christian. I don't even go to church. And this Christian karaoke thing is just weird. I get that. I understand it. But you know what? Just sing. Just try it. Open up your heart and see what happens. Or maybe for others, it's to clap. You know that awkward feeling when everyone wants to clap, but no one knows if you can or not? It's like, it's like two magnets like trying to repel each other. You can put those hands together in celebration of what God has done for us. It's not for the team. It's not for me. It's not for Corey. Or maybe it's to raise your hands or to meet that person or forgive that friend. Maybe it's to go to your classes faithfully and learn for the kingdom or be a good steward of your time, your energy, your resources. Maybe it's to go to Long Island and serve. Where is God calling you to obey him today in chapel? Worship is an act of obedience, and Abraham simply obeyed God when he spoke to him, and we are called to do the same. And so we see that the first truth of worship is simply that. Worship is an act of obedience. The second truth we see this morning is that worship is an act of sacrifice. Everyone say sacrifice. Good, you're still awake. Yes. God says, Abraham, bring a burnt offering to me, your son Isaac. And, God, and Abraham preps everything. And it's interesting because I, Isaac is there. He's a smart kid. And he knows there's no worship without a sacrifice. So he says, Dad, I see the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Where's the sacrifice? Even Isaac, as a kid, knows that you don't go to God without a sacrifice. In the Old Testament tradition, when people came to the temple, they always came to offer something to God. Right? And the whole book of Leviticus, which is like an awesome, awesome book. Now, I know some of you guys are like, no, J.D., I've tried reading through the Bible, and Genesis is cool. Exodus is even cooler. I like the ten plagues and miracles and stuff. But Leviticus is like boring. I am done. But what if I told you that Leviticus was a worship manual? That it taught you how to worship, how to prepare your heart, how to prepare your sacrifice, how to do it in just the right way. Because that's exactly what it was for everyone in the Old Testament tradition. It was a worship manual. And everyone knew that there is no worship without sacrifice. You just don't show up to the temple without it. But you know, in our modern, worship, modern church, we, we live in a culture of entitlement. Worship has been so twisted that it's all become about us and what we can get from God and what we can gain from God and not what we bring to him. Recently, Victoria Olstein, wife of Joel Olstein, 
got a lot of media attention for this statement in one of their worship services at Lakewood. Hear these words that she said. I just want to encourage every one of us to realize that when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way to look at it, but we're doing it for ourselves. Because God takes pleasure when we're happy. And that's the thing that gives him the greatest joy. So I want you to know this morning, just do good for your own self. Do good because God wants you to be happy. When you come to church, when you worship him, you're not really doing it for God. You're doing it for yourself. Because that's what makes God happy. Amen? Wow. We hear this and many of us feel so uncomfortable. And if you've been watching YouTube, someone cleverly put like a clip of uh, Bill Cosby saying, what? (laughs) Connected to that. It's really funny. Go check it out later. Um, But we feel so uncomfortable hearing this because we know that that's not what worship is about. But can I tell you something? The sad truth is that many of us think that way without even knowing it. We don't come to chapel to offer praises to God. We don't come to offer our time to Him. We come because we have to or because we need to, Him to answer us or show up because my life is a mess or um, maybe just because there's nothing better to do. Now, don't get me wrong. We can have faith and look towards God. He is our provider and our soul strength. But when we worship, we come to sacrifice to Him. We come to bring our hearts, our voices, the breath in our lungs, our time, our love, our money, our attention. There is no worship without sacrifice. And so what is your sacrifice this morning? What have you brought before the Lord? What have you prepared in your heart and in your soul? Now, for some of you, that might be comfort. As you discuss, maybe singing or raising your hands. For some of you, it might be your time. Auditioning for chapel teams, using your gifts. For others, it might be your style of music. Maybe you're not into contemporary worship or hymns or gospel. But you know what? Chapel here at ENC is for everyone. And we're going to engage in worship together as a community. And that means that we're all going to have to sacrifice in one way or another. Maybe it's your preference. Who knows what it is? But one thing is absolutely true. There is no worship without sacrifice. Because worship is an act of sacrifice. And so what are you sacrificing to God this morning? We see that worship is an act of obedience and sacrifice. And, and this is good because you guys know there's three points. And this is the third one, which means we're almost done. You're still with me, yes? Okay, good. The last truth is simply this, is that worship is an act of faith. You know, Abraham says, wait here and the boy and I will go worship and we will return to you. Did you catch that? He said that we will go worship and we will return to you. Now, Abraham knows in his brain that this just isn't true, okay? Here's a guy that left his father's home, left everything he knew. Bam, he's gone, following God. He's about to go off for his son. He's about to slay Isaac as an offering. He's coming back alone. He's dead set on this. So, is he lying? Is he crazy? Dimensional at this point? No. The statement isn't a wishful truth, but it's a declaration of faith. Abraham trusts that God will provide and that somehow God will show up and be God. And so when Isaac says, Dad, where's the sacrifice? Abraham simply says, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And we know the story. As Abraham's about to do it, God says, stop. I know you fear me. And there's the ram in the thicket. And so worship is an act of faith. It's something that happens not when things are all together, but sometimes in moments when your whole life is falling apart. But many of us sadly approach worship like it's Pharrell's song, Happy. You guys know that song? 
I love that song. I get really happy when I hear that. We can walk to it every now and then. Listen to the lyrics of this song. Because I'm happy, clap along if you feel like a room without a roof. Because I'm happy, clap along if you feel happiness is the truth. Because I'm happy, clap along. All right. If you know what happiness is to you, right? Because I'm happy, clap along if you feel like that's what you want to do. And when we come into church, we think, hey, you know what? If you're happy, you can sing. If you're in a good place and God has been faithful, you can rejoice. And you know what? If God has showed up and he's answered a prayer in your life, then yes, that's the moment where you say, amen, hallelujah, Corey, I'm listening to you this time. But let me tell you something, newsflash. Things go wrong in life. And when you look at scripture, some of the best moments of worship that you see are when people are in their darkest moments. You look at the Psalms and you read great things about David worshiping and, and being glorified and God's glorified and he's in the temple. But what about the, the, the Psalm where he's like, God, there's enemies coming after me. I don't know where to go. I have no place to lie down. That wasn't some spiritual metaphor. He was being literal. Some of the best worship that you can give to God in your life is not in the happy places, but it's in the dark places. You know, I told you that my dad um, was, a, was a soldier. He was married um, to my mom for 20 years. This happened right in the middle of seminary. It led me into this crazy moment of faith crisis. Uh, my dad was in the army. He was also an associate pastor. My parents adopted five kids. I grew up in the kind of household where we shared sermons together. We passed around our notes for Sunday school. We critiqued each other. He was the man that I wanted to be. And so you'd imagine that I was shocked when in my first year of seminary, I got a phone call and my dad said, I'm leaving your mom. I want a divorce. And I said, what? What is going on here? And to make a really long story short, I got to some, some really heart-wrenching conversations and my dad said, you know what? I found another woman. I just don't love your mom anymore. And uh, I'm going to leave you and her and I'm going to go start my life with her. It devastated me. Seminary was supposed to last three years. It lasted six. I was wrecked. Absolutely was like, God is not real. He doesn't exist. Impossible. How can a good God let things like that happen? And I'll never forget, uh, you know, let it process for some time. And then, you know, my mom obviously found out. Everyone found out. And I'll remember the first phone call. I picked up the phone, you know, in tears. I called my mom. And I said, Mom, how are you doing? And she said, I'm doing okay. And I said, um... Are you really okay? And she said, I'm not happy. And things are not good. Son, things are actually very, very dark. But you know what? You remember my favorite song, son? It's like, yeah, mom, I do. And um, she said, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all my fear is gone. And I know, oh, I know, that my life is worth living because he lives. And that worship in that moment was both beautiful and inspiring. In this moment in scripture, Abraham is about to kill his son. He's about to lose everything that God had promised him. And he says, I'm going to worship you. Worship is an act of faith. It's not something that you just do when you're happy or when things are going well. This semester, I guarantee you things are going to go wrong. And in those moments, you got to lean in. You got to show up. And you got to worship. 
And so this morning we see that worship is an act of obedience, that it's an act of sacrifice, and it's an act of faith. And so I just want to simply ask you a question as we kind of go into closing. Where are you this morning? When you think about the word worship, what's the picture that comes to your mind? Or let me phrase it this way. When we say the word ENC, Eastern Nazarene College, what's the picture that comes to our minds? Do you see a community of people who are engaging God passionately, willing to be free, willing to to process life and spiritual moments? Do you see people raising their hands, singing their voices? Do you see people reaching out desperately, trying to find something in the spiritual dark. What do you see when you hear the word ENC? We saw the clip about Michael Jackson. And you know, it sounds crazy because those people, those godless people who don't know Jesus, they sure do look like they're having a great time. They sure do look like they're free. They sure do look like they're ascribing worth to someone that, in my opinion pales in comparison to who Jesus is. Now, if our worship does not reflect that same intensity, that same love, then where does that put us? What does that say about ENC and the way that we worship? And so we're going to respond together in song this morning, and I want you all to stand. So the last thing that we're going to do, and, and I know, I know that, you know what, next week, next oh, Friday, you're going to hear a sermon, and the next week you're going to hear a sermon, and This moment may pass and you may never remember it. But for this moment together, just this one moment, let's respond together. Let's be a community that worships God. Let's be a community that exhibits obedience, sacrifice, and faith. And so we're going to have a moment of silence. And the 15 shekels is going to lead us in this closing song. And I just want you to be free today. You know, if silence is your thing and you don't feel like engaging, go ahead and do that. But if you feel the Spirit encouraging you to sing out, because it's really not silence you're liking, but you're shy, then lean into that. But let's go ahead and let our lives and worship be a picture that glorifies God and brings Him honor. And so let's go into a moment of silence together as we contemplate worshiping Him. Let's worship together this morning.